Peace be with you. What a joy it is to be with you this evening, as always, to be able to fellowship together and to share uh, God's word with you. I pray that your day has been going well, and I pray today that a song will be sung or a word spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. If you are a a first-time guest, I just want to welcome you. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and I truly count it a privilege to be able to stand before you today and share the word of God. I know you guys just got comfortable and, and nice chairs and you're seated and kind of almost ready to get settled. But before you get settled, I'm going to ask you to stand back up and we're going to read God's word. Uh, the passage that we'll be looking at will be on the screen behind me or you can follow along in your Bible. We're in Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then 18 through 28. Acts chapter 18, 1 through 4 and then 18 through 28. And what you see on the screen or hold in your hand um, is the very word of God. It's written by holy men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read it as such. Amen. Verse one. And after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 18. And Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancria because of a vow he had taken. And they arrived at Ephesus, and they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail to Ephesus, and when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Persia, strengthening all the disciples. And meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexander, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews, Jewish opponents in the public debate, proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be uh, here this evening. And Father, we all come with things on our mind and things uh, that we have experienced today, whether good or bad. And I pray, Father God, that even now you will use Uh, today's experiences for your glory. 
I pray, Father God, that you would silence our hearts and our minds and allow us to put away anything that would hinder us from receiving your word. I pray, Father God, that you would minister through me. I'm desperate for you. Your people are desperate for you. We need to hear from you, not from me. Please, Lord, allow your Holy Spirit, your anointing to fall afresh in this place. Speak now, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when I was in college, I found myself my first year in a very bad place. I backslid and was beginning to, to walk away from the faith that I received, uh, that, that I believed uh, when, when I was a child. Uh, it came after a number of things happened, uh, a broken relationship that I had uh, put in an unhealthy place, uh, began to uh, idolize a young lady, and we broke up, as well as um, I lost a couple uh, dear friends from high school. They, they died. I'm in a different state, uh, feeling lonely, and it seemed like my world was crumbling, and rather than run to God, I ran from him. Uh, but one day, while in a grocery store, uh, I ran into a man, and this man uh, was curious and took interest in me. He sparked the conversation, was very intentional about the, the conversation, and ended up inviting me to a Bible study. Uh, his name was Stan Parker. Um, he became my pastor while I was in college, um, and he invited me to this Bible study and just loved me. Uh, for the next four years while I was at school, he just loved me. Loved me so well, him and his wife, that I did not know that they had kids until about a year in. Um, I thought that maybe I was a child that they always wanted or something. They were just so kind to me. I'm like, wow, you have kids? I didn't even realize that. Uh, the way they fed me and just, just loved on me. Uh, but not only Pastor Stan, you know, he poured into me. He took me to speaking engagements with, with, with him. Um, he would come over to the apartment, open up the word with me. Um, I'm very appreciative of his influence in my life. There was also a, a woman by the name of Sharon Griffin. Uh, Sharon was a math teacher at Michigan State, was over what was called the Drew Department, which was a department specifically um, uh, for those who were, were struggling in math or didn't have as, as high scores on the ACT. And uh, he introduced me to this woman. She was a godly woman, is a godly woman, and she poured herself, uh, her life into me as well. Uh, she really taught me to, to take my faith seriously and to take God's word seriously, to, to be obedient to the word. And then there was a guy by the name of Dr. Edward Fabaro. He was from Nigeria, godly brother, working on his PhD. We met and he once again invested in me, uh, spent time with me, uh, opened the word with me. But what I remember most about Dr. Fabaro is him encouraging me in uh, the gift of teaching and preaching. He came alongside me, gave me books, gave me resources, taught me what expository preaching was and, and what it meant to rightly divide the word of truth. And then there was a guy by the name of Steve Cato. Uh, Steve was known across campus. He was an evangelist. Uh, he would just uh, was attracted uh, to, to people of all cultures and uh, would take me out on campus uh, and just we would just walk up to people and share our faith with them. I learned how to share the gospel with people and how to care for people through Steve Cato. Why am I sharing that? I truly am thankful for each of the people that I named. 
And as I sit back and reflect on my Christian journey, I am confident that I would not be where I am today if it had not been for the Lord, putting it on people's hearts to be intentional with me and to share their lives with me. And this is what the Bible calls discipleship. Discipleship is one person sharing their God-given resources with another person. I'll say that again. Discipleship is is one person sharing their God-given resources with another person. And many of you in here, um, as Christians, have been strengthened in the faith. You have grown because there was someone who took the time to share their God-given resources with you, their gifts, their talents, their their passion. They was there to to counsel you, to to give hospitality, to, to point your way to Christ. Some of you are Christians in here. You're saying to yourself, I I wish I had that. I wish I had someone to pour into me or to be more intentional about giving away what they had received from the Lord to me. But listen, this is the call of every single Christian. Every single Christian is called to be a conduit of the gospel. Every single Christian is called to not only receive the word from other people, but to give the word and to give their lives to other people. And that's kind of the the big idea, the thing I I want you to see today as we focus on this text, because in this text, we're going to learn how the gospel moves through people, how the gospel moves through people. And at home, we, uh, my wife and I say this often to to our kids, to our family, that sharing is caring. But if there's something I wanted you to walk away with, it's this, is sharing and receiving is caring about the kingdom of God and God's business. Sharing and receiving is caring about the kingdom of God and God's business. That's what we see here in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter. The apostle Paul is going on a five-city tour. He is visiting cities uh, that he is uh, 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 planted seed in or that there's churches, most of most of them there because of a result of him uh, planning them and, and witnessing. So he's going to go on this five-city tour, and on this tour, he's going to meet a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, and he's going to share his life with this couple. And in return, what we'll see is that this couple is going to become strong Christians. They're going to imitate Paul and share their lives with a man by the name of Apollo. So sharing and receiving is caring in the kingdom of God. In verses one through four, we read that Paul leaves Athens and he heads to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, who was a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them, verse three. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews So Paul comes to the city of Corinth and he hears about a couple, a couple who at one time had been immigrants or refugees. The Bible says that they were kicked out of Rome because they were Jewish. Claudius, the Roman emperor, the Roman ruler, had heard historians say that there was a division that was going on in Rome. And one historian writes that the the reason that there was division was because there was uh, a disagreement on who Jesus Christ was. Um, Some Jews had become 
Christians. They were starting to come to faith. And other Jews, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So internally, with the Jewish community there, there was some, some upheaval. And as a result, Claudius kicked the Jews out. And Aquila and Priscilla became refugees. And we know as Christians that around the world, there are places that are hostile to Christianity and hostile to other religions as well. And we have brothers and sisters of Christ who are forced to leave their homeland to find a new place to live because of religious persecution. And I'll just make a note here to say that it is the church's job to see people who have received religious persecution and who are refugees, not as a problem to be solved, but as a people to serve. And I'm so thankful for people in this church and in this city who are serving refugees here in this city and to be a part of a church that are on, that's on the front lines, caring for people who have been misplaced from their home. And that's what we see in this text, that there are this couple, they've been misplaced, and now they're settled in, in Corinth. They, they have a business. They're tent makers. And the Apostle Paul is a tent maker as well. Uh, even though he's a, a powerful preacher and teacher and, and an apostle, he works with his hands. He has dirt under his fingernails. And he hears about this couple who is in Corinth. And he hears that they're Jewish. And he builds a relationship with them to the point that they begin to do life together and even live together. Paul goes into a business alliance with this couple, not for the sake of going into a business alliance, but I believe because he wanted a kingdom alliance. He saw a couple who probably did not know Jesus and saw this as an opportunity to work with them and to convince them that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what we read in verse four in chapter 18 that the Apostle Paul, when he was not working and making tents, that he went into the synagogue and he preached Jesus to the Jews. So what ends up happening is Aquila and Priscilla, they give their life to Jesus. And we read in verse 18 that Paul stays in Corinth for some time. And then he leaves his brothers and sisters there and he sails to Syria. And look who he's accompanied by. He's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So here was a couple that when he met did not know Jesus. But as a result of his faithfulness in the everyday, in the mundane things, in making tents, as a result of him allowing his light to shine and then building a bridge with this couple and, and sharing the gospel with them, not only are they Christians, but they, within a few years, become missionaries. When Paul leaves for Syria, they say, Paul, we're going with you. When Paul leaves for Ephesus, they say, Paul, we're going to Ephesus with you. Not only that, we read in verse 20, 19 and 20, that Paul feels the Holy Spirit telling him to, to leave Ephesus. And he tells them to stay behind in order to strengthen the church at Ephesus. Now, you see this? Paul is a gospel conduit. Paul is allowing what God has given him, his God-given resources, to be shared with this couple he has developed an intentional relationship with them. Their life has been changed. They are growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And now they are gospel conduits. Now they are giving away what they have learned to others. And the church is being strengthened. And this is discipleship. We are disciples who 
Christ has called to make disciples. The gospel should not come to us and be clogged up in us and stay with us. Our experience, our giftedness should not stop with us. God has uniquely shaped us. He has saved us. He has gifted us. He has given us our story. He has given us his word so that we would pour out what we have received to others and continue to grow in the faith. You know, a few years back, I went to a conference and a speaker at the conference asked everyone to stand. And there was about 4,000 people there. Beautiful. Everyone stands to their feet. He says, I'm going to ask a series of questions. If the question is yes, have a seat. And he asked the question, he says, how many of you came to faith as a result of someone preaching a message? You were at a service and someone preached a sermon. And out of 4,000 people, only a few people sat down. He said, how many of you came to faith as a result of watching a preacher on television or someone giving you a CD or a cassette? And out of 4,000 people, a few more people sat down. Then he asked the question, he says, how many of you came to Christ because someone took an interest in you and they modeled the faith for you and shared Jesus with you? And suddenly, most of the people that was in the auditorium sat down. I believe in the power of the preaching God's word. First Corinthians chapter 2. God uses the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I believe in the power of preaching, but you know what? I also believe in the power of personal relationships. That God saves people as a result of his people being faithful witnesses day in and day out as a result of of mothers pouring their lives into their children and and teaching them in the mundane routineness of every day, as a result of fathers having devotion, as a result of coworkers sitting across the table at lunchtime. God does this. He changes people's lives as we, his people, take time to invest in other people and see them not as projects, but as people whom God created in his image, and people who need to find joy in life in him. There's two things that often hinder us from from making disciples this way and pouring our lives out. The one, first, is that this requires us to make space for people. And for many of us, our lives are just too busy. And some of us, we wear busyness as a badge. We We don't allow space in our lives to spend time with people or to get to know people. We fill up our lives with activity after activity after activity after activity. It's almost as if we're afraid to be still, as if we're afraid to be alone with the Lord, as if we're afraid to allow people into our lives. What we see is that the Apostle Paul makes space for this couple. Though he is busy building relationships all over the city of Corinth, though he is busy preaching in a synagogue and making tents, he's able to slow down with this couple and pour himself into them. But listen, Aquila and Priscilla made space for the Apostle Paul. If we want to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, want to make, we need to make space for people to pour into us as well. So what does your weekly schedule look like? 
Are you overextending yourself? Are you wisely choosing what your kids will be involved in and what they won't be involved in? Are you taking advantage of the things that that are already a regular part and regular rhythm of your life? I remember Pastor Stan, when I was at, at Michigan State, um, just about every Tuesday before Bible study, he would pick me up from my dorm for, for like a year. And we would go down uh, to the student center and he would check his mail. And it was like clock row, work. And then he would go to the grocery store. And I said one day, I said, Pastor, why do we do this every Tuesday? He says, because the same people, I'm on campus once a week, and the same people work there. And I want to build a relationship with them. Intentional. There are regular rhythms in your life that God has given you where you can begin to get to know people, to be curious about them, and to build relationships. But second, we see that this requires us to be sensitive to the Spirit, and it requires us to set boundaries. Paul is in Ephesus, okay? And he has enjoyed his time in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus has received the Word of God so well. They're in love with them, with the Lord. But the Lord has put it in Paul's spirit that it's time for him to go. And the Bible says that, that they love Paul so much in verse 20 that they asked him to stay and spend more time with them, but he declined. So the apostle Paul was able to set boundaries when he sensed that it was the time for him to leave uh, Ephesus. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit and he set a boundary. He said, no, I cannot stay here any longer, but if it's the Lord's will, I will return. And for some of us, we, we have to know when to set boundaries. We cannot pour ourselves out to everyone the same way. You can't go deep with everyone the same way. You have to establish who is the Lord drawing you to? Who has the Lord allowed to be drawn to you? And set those boundaries. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, who is it that you want me to give my life away? So in life, I've tried to to really uh, keep with a model. And the model is this. At every kind of season of life, I, I always pray that the Lord would give me two things, two people in front of me, two mentors, two men that I see qualities in that I aspire to be like in this next season of life. And then I always pray for two peer relationships, two peer men that I can share life with, that we're pouring into each other, we're discipling each other, so to speak, and then two people that I can invest in, two people who are not yet mature in the faith that I can help to grow in maturity in the faith. And that may be a good model for you. Last year, as I looked back on the year, I was talking to my wife and I told her, I said, sweetie, we were just too busy this year. It was probably the least evangelistic year of our lives. And we began to pray and we're starting to pray and say, Lord, help us to, to create space so that we can pour into either young Christians who are just coming to the faith, just as people poured into us, or non-believers. Help us to give ourselves away as a family. The second thing we see in this text, if we are going to allow God to use us in the life of others and other people in our life is we have to we have to have a teachable spirit. We have to have a teachable spirit. And we have a teachable spirit because we realize that we are all in process. We are all in process. Verse 24 reads, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexander, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he 
knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him in their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we see that Aquila and Priscilla, they're now in Ephesus, and they, they hear about a man by the name of Apollos who's preaching powerfully in synagogues. The Bible says he's from Alexandria, which is in Egypt. He's a, an African, but he's in Ephesus. He is a godly man. He's a eloquent in speech. He is very knowledgeable. He's preaching with fervor. And so one day they decide to go to church together and to check out this great preacher. And they go to the service, the synagogue, and they hear Apollos preach. And I'm sure they were blown away by his intellect. I'm sure they were blown away by his preaching gift. But I imagine that after the service, they had a little conversation with each other. And the conversation probably went a little bit like this. Aquila probably talked to Priscilla. He said, hey, sweetie, that, that guy, Apollo, sure can't preach, can he? Yes, he can. Man, he's better than our pastor. I mean, I love Pastor Jamal, but boy, he can really preach. And he said, but, you know, I just felt like something was missing. She probably looked at him and said, you know, I think something was missing. I think he has only received the baptism of John. And basically what that is, is this, this Jewish particularism, this belief that Gentiles, in order to truly come to faith in Jesus, that they had to accept Jewish customs. They hadn't yet heard about the Jerusalem Council, which concluded and showed that the Holy Spirit had been at work amongst Gentiles and that, that all is required for salvation in Christ is grace through faith. So Apollos was preaching Jesus. He knew Jesus accurately, but he was probably still putting his burden on Gentiles. But what did they do? Did they complain about Apollos? Did they write him a nasty letter? No, they didn't. They invited him, the Bible says, into their home. And while in their home, they showed him a more accurate view and way of Scripture so that he grew to be more adequately. And what was the results? The results show afterwards that the Lord is now calling him to go and to do ministry around the area of Corinth. And the brothers and sisters of Christ that are there in Corinth, they send him with a high recommendation. He goes and his ministry flourishes and explodes. Listen, Apollos grew in the faith because he had a teachable spirit. Here's a man who was highly learned. You read the text. They, the text is just complimenting him. He's using stuff like uh, a, a man who is very knowledgeable, a man who uh, has great fervor, who knows the scriptures well. It doesn't talk about Aquila and Priscilla in that way. These were common, ordinary people. They invited him to his home. They probably loved him and complimented him and then said, brother, we need to share something with you. And Apollos could have been proud. He could have said, wait a minute, I'm from Alexandria. I went to the University of Alexandria, but he doesn't. He submits because he knows that the Lord can speak through anyone and use anyone to help us to grow. And the question is, do you believe that? Is your heart, is my heart, are, are our hearts in a place that is receptible for the Lord to speak through other people to help us to grow? Do we, do we size people up to see if they have earned the right to speak to us? Do they have to have the, the, the highest pedigree of education or a successful business or life? God can use anyone. We are all even at the cross. And the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling his church, indwelling all members of the church. And if God could speak through a donkey in the Old Testament, he can surely speak through any Christian. 
indwell with the Holy Spirit to help enrich our life in Jesus Christ. The second thing is this, is we all must realize that we are in a process that none of us have arrived. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible. None of us have arrived. I don't care how many verses you have memorized. None of us have arrived. I don't care if you give away all your clothes and all of your your earnings to the poor. You still haven't arrived. We still have not arrived and we must remain humble. Proverbs talk about the, the fool, the folly man, the man of folly. The man of folly is one who does not allow other people to speak into their lives. Is one who does not allow the multitude of counselors to counsel them. Is one who does not see, does not see the wounds of a friend being better than the kisses of an enemy. So where are you at in your discipleship journey? Are you growing or are you stagnant? Are you intentionally developing relationships with people who can mentor you in the faith? Are you giving yourself to people who may not be where you are in the faith? There's this book called Disciple Shifts by Jim Putman. And me and some of the pastors were reading this as we're thinking through discipling the body. And there's a portion of this book that just kind of floored me, floored us. And, and Putnam talks about the processes of growth in the life of disciple. And basically what he does is he breaks the life uh, of a disciple down into four steps or four stages. And in these stages, he says, you can kind of know where you're at in the stage by the types of thing that you often find yourself saying or complaining about amongst the body of Christ. Okay. And here's, here's the first level of this. It's the, the level of an infant. That's someone who is spiritually alive. They, they follow Jesus. They've come into saving faith, but they still uh, are, are babes in Christ. They're still on milk, so to speak. And this is what a spiritual infant um, often says or how they often process things. They, they'll say things like, you know what? What? I need to go to church every week? I've never heard of that before. Or I need to pray and read the Bible regularly? I do not know that. I don't need anyone else. It's just me and Jesus. A trinity? Who? A trinity what? A trinity? What's that? If this is them, they're, they're newly born. They're being formed. They don't know the answers to these questions. But then there's level two. A level two, uh, he calls, is a, a spiritual child. They are growing in their relationship with God and now with other Christians too. But just like a small child, the focus tends to be on, on them. And here's um, what he says. My, my church or community group is too big now. Who are these new people? I can't even get a parking spot close to the church. No one cares about me because people and pastors at church weren't even saying hi or asking how I'm doing today. Well, I would join the worship team, but no one had ever asked me. Now, some of us are spiritual infants and some of us are spiritual children, and that's okay. That's okay. It's okay as long as we are growing and as long as we don't stop there. It's cute to say goo goo gaga to a two-year-old. It's not cute to say it to a 28-year-old. Right? In the same way with faith, when we come to the faith, it's okay for us not to know things early on in our faith. But if we're at the same place 15 years from now, something, something is not, something is not working. Level three is a, a young adult. This person has moved from being self-centered 
to being God-centered and other people-centered. And a young adult, spiritual young adult, say things like, I want to go to Uganda on a mission trip. I see the great needs in this world. I love serving as a worship leader. It brings me joy to see them lifting up their hands to praise God. I feel privileged to be a part of this. Brandon and Tiffany miss community group, so I called them to check in. Their kids have the flu, so I started a meal train to help them out. A spiritual young adult is now moving from being self-centered to other people-focused and God-focused. And then finally, we have the spiritual parent. And this is what the Apostle Paul was. A spiritual parent is a person who is mature, and they are regularly discipling and investing in others. They, are, they foster the growth of everyone around them as spiritual parents. Just as Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he, he saw himself as a spiritual parent. Spiritual parents say stuff like, I wonder if God is calling me to invest in Bill and to help him mature in his faith. Or our whole community group is going on a mission trip. I wonder how I can best serve the trip and help others find their gifts in this situation. My most important ministry is my own children, but life can be busy. So I'm asking my friends to help hold me accountable to regularly lead devotionals with them and shepherd their hearts. There's a spiritual child in my community group who keeps getting in conflict. I'm praying for patience for the group and myself as I gently lead them out of the stage. Where, where, where are you in your spiritual walk? Now, this is a bit reductionistic, I know. We all can be less mature in some areas and more mature in the others. But the question is, where are you and what are you doing to grow? Are you allowing and receiving from people? And are you allowing the Lord to use you? Now, you may also say, well, none of those fit me. And perhaps it's because you're a part of the last category, which is a spiritual dead. Spiritually dead people say things like, I don't believe there's a God. The Bible is just a bunch of myth. Religion is a crutch to the weak. There are many ways a person can get to God. And I've been a good person, so when I die, everything will be okay. I'll take my chance with the man upstairs. And if that's you and, and you are in uh, uh, saying those things and believing those things, I, I want to give you an invitation to talk to me or talk to another pastor, and we can explain to you what it means to be spiritually dead and how to move from spiritual death to spiritual life. But in a nutshell, it is putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It is recognizing that he is the Lord, and king of the world, and that he has died for those who will put their trust in him. And it's only through Jesus Christ that you can be forgiven of sins and have a real relationship with the living God. You see in this text that, the, that Apollos, though he is probably a spiritual parent at this point, will be categorized in that way. He humbles himself and allows other people to pour into him. The Apostle Paul was a spiritual parent. And yet we see in Philippians chapter 3 that he says that he presses towards the, the mark of the high calling. He's not looking behind. He says, I'm pressing forth the mark of the high calling. He has not settling where he is, but he is continuing to grow in his faith. And let's be honest, what, what hinders many of us from, from growing in this way is, is perception, is image. Uh, perhaps we don't reach out to other people because maybe we don't want to other people to know where we really are in our heart, what's really going on, how we're struggling. We're afraid to let people in. We want to we wanna put up this, I'm, I'm more mature than, uh, than I actually am image. And in order to to receive 
like Apollos received, we have to humble ourselves and know that our identity, our image is most importantly found in Christ. And we have to stop fearing what other people will think of us if they found out the true us. Why? Because our most important identity is found in Jesus Christ. And the very worst thing that someone can say about you, it has already been said 2,000 years ago. And it has been nailed to the cross. And so rather than fearing someone finding it out or fearing someone saying it, just agree with it. You know what? I am a sinner. And I am the chief among sinners. But Christ came. And now I am a beloved child of the Lord. Third, we see in this text that we can allow God to use us in the life of other people and others, people in our life by contributing when and where we can, by contributing when and where we can. So what's interesting about this text is that Priscilla and Aquila, again, they invest in Apollos, though they themselves are not as educated as Apollos, uh, because they have embraced their God-given resources, and now they're sharing their God-given resources with another. They are contributing how they can contribute, and that's how the Lord is calling you to do. You can't teach what you've never learned. You can't model what you've never seen modeled and what you can't do, but what you can do is share what you do have. You can share what you do know. You can share how you have been shaped and made. What I love about this is that Luke is doing something pretty radical in his text. And perhaps, and, and throughout the New Testament, something radical is happening. Whenever Priscilla and Aquila is mentioned, Priscilla's name is first. Now, this is radical because she's a woman. And in this ancient uh, days, back in these days, uh, a woman's name, a wife's name should not have been placed in front of her husband's name. But most often we see that the wife is mentioned first. And perhaps the reason why Priscilla is mentioned first is because Priscilla is a more mature disciple. Perhaps she is more uh, aware theologically. Perhaps she uh, um, is, is just a, a farther along in her Christian journey. So what Luke and other writers are probably showing is that uh, Priscilla is taking the lead in discipling Apollos um, in the context of their home. She is embracing who God has made her and how God has gifted her, and she is giving that away. Not only that, but Aquila, as a husband, it appears that he is allowing this to happen because he is secure in who God made him. He's not threatened by his wife's gifts. He's not trying to be someone that he is not. And as a result, we see that the Lord uses them to encourage a preacher and that this preacher would grow as a result of the time that they invested in him. My question for you is, is are you allowing God to use you where you are? Are you allowing God to use you where you are? 
there's a story that a book that I read called The Walk, and it was by a guy by the name of Michael Card. Michael Card lived in Western Kentucky and uh, went to college and was a, a majored in forestry in college. Sounds fun, forestry. And uh, he had a professor by the name of Bill Lane, who was a, a New Testament scholar. So Michael takes this class with this guy named Bill Lane and strikes up a conversation with them, and they end up going on a walk together around campus. They enjoy the walk so much that they continue to take walks on campus together. And these walks are beginning to transform Michael Carr. He's enjoying the walks, the professor's enjoying the walks, and he's being intentionally poured into. And years later, Bill Lane uh, had a retirement party, and many of his students showed up to the party, including Michael. And one student stood up and said, Bill, I am so thankful for your ministry, but there is one major thing, an area that I believe that you have failed at. You could have written many, many great books of theology. You are one of the best New Testament scholars, and I am, and it is unfortunate that you will not leave more written works behind. And then he says, Bill, I'm so thankful that you didn't write more books because we are your books. So Bill chose what was best over what was good. And he chose to invest in people. And people are the legacy that he left behind. My question is, is, will people be the legacy that you leave behind? Will you begin to pray about who you can give your God-given resources to, who you can disciple, who you can share life with, who you can invite over to a meal, who you can care for? Will you allow other people to speak into your life freely so that you can continue to grow as a disciple? Will you be other people? Now, this way of discipling was not created by Paul. This way of discipling started with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the greatest preacher of all time, could have gotten swept away with the crowd. But instead, when the crowds grew and he often knew that they were not there because of a genuine love for him, he ran the crowds away by preaching the unadulterated truth of God. And Jesus poured his life into a small number of people who then poured their life into other people. And as a result, you and me, we are sitting here today. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. Right before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them and teach them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he also told them, that you go in my authority, for I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. So as we are going out and as we are seeking to make disciples, no, we can't make them in our own strength. We can't muster up enough courage. It is going to be a result of us surrendering our life to the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis and finding our power through him. And every Sunday, we get to remind ourselves of Christ's love for us by taking a meal called communion together. 
On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he lifted up a cup and said, this cup is uh, the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And here at Sojourn, we take a piece of the bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we, in doing so, proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If you're not a Christian, uh, rather than take this meal, we want you to just simply uh, take Christ, uh, sit back and reflect on, on where you are and what's hindering you from taking that next step of learning more about Jesus. If you are a Christian, let's enter into this time soberly. Let's enter into this time prayerfully, um, reflecting on this last week in areas maybe that we have not been believing the gospel and reminding ourselves as we come to the table that God is real, that the gospel is real, that as we touch this bread, that there is a, a literal Savior in heaven interceding for you and me on our side, and he's coming back again. Those on the first half of the room, you come to the front. Those who you in the back half of the room, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.